it's been, it's been a rough uh, year. Actually, it's been a rough several years. And uh, I'm excited. Um, I'm feeling very optimistic about the future. Um, you know, I went through my own kind of difficulties and, and the medical difficulties and, and, and all of that. Um, but I'm so, I'm just optimistic. I'm optimistic. I know that the Lord is always working behind the scenes. That sometimes, you know, you're going through life and you think, where is God? Well, he's right here. He's right here. He's here. Even when you're alone, what? You're not alone. The Lord has promised to be with you. And he's guiding us. He's leading us. Even if, even if it doesn't seem to make sense. Okay, he's guiding us and leading us. Um, I have a, the flyers that you have in your seats. Did you all see this when you came in? There's a reason for these. Okay, They're not to cover the seats. Okay, They're not to protect the fabric. Okay, Take these with you. Grab them. Take them with you. Just put a few of them in your Bible. When you go out to lunch, just stick them in the menu and give the menu back to the waitress or, or um, leave them in the post office next to the most wanted or something like that. I don't know. Find a place to leave them. Um, it's got stuff about our church. Right? If you hadn't noticed, we're in strange times. We're in very strange times. And the church is needed now more than ever. <laughs> the church is not irrelevant. The church is more relevant than it has ever been. So uh, get people want, this is a, I'm trying to make it easy for y'all to invite people like what Dave was talking about. Same thing happened to me, Dave. Somebody invited me to a Christian camp. And when I became a Christian, you know what all the people back at the high school said? John Blake became a Christian? That was my reputation. That's all I'll say. Okay. Um, I'm going to ask for some special prayer. We announced the congregational meeting, so you know that that's happening, not next week, but the week after. But prayer for um, BJ, um, Ahern. Um, she's been going through some difficult health times. She was airlifted to Shans um, last night. And uh, Vicki Pentecost had texted me. And so we just keep BJ in your prayers. Sandy and I went to see her last week. And she's, um, she's just very thin and um, needs some help. Needs some help. Also, uh, Bruce uh, Brizendine passed this last week and just prayers for Denise and Kelly her sister and also Adam her son who's here visiting and he's having difficulties so um, I would just like to have some special prayer for them would you pray with me Lord we lift BJ up to you and Denise and, and other people unspoken things from our prayer list of those on our prayer chain um, for your special care for them uh, Lord I know that you know you know what they're asking for. You know what I'm asking for. You hear our prayers and you answer our prayers. Sometimes you don't always answer them exactly the way we think you should. But you always answer our prayers according to your will. And so we're offering these folks up to you. All those folks on our prayer list and all those we mentioned. We pray for our sister churches in town. All the churches in town. We just pray for them and lift them up to you. For your guidance and your blessing for their leaders. And... Um, for their people. We pray for that. We pray that they, because uh, their mission is our mission. You know, they're, they're trying to be faithful, just as we are trying to be faithful uh, in strange times. So we pray in your name, Jesus, and we lift these, our brothers and sisters, up to you. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Well, today we are up, up, and away with chapter three of the Gospel of Luke. Uh, it's the life and teachings of Jesus. And um, 
Chapter 3 is about three things. Basically, it's about three things. It's about John the Baptist, his witness to Jesus, the baptism, okay, of Jesus, and the genealogy of Jesus. Those are the three things. As I told you uh, two weeks ago, with regard to chapter 1 of Luke, all four Gospels, all four, include John the Baptist as the primary witness to Jesus, the promised Messiah of God. I also told you that the four Gospels are similar in many ways, okay, but they are also quite unique, as different and unique as the apostles who wrote them by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Last week I mentioned that I would point out some differences between Luke and the other three Gospels with regard to the birth narratives of Jesus and the witness of John the Baptist. As you would imagine, uh, from what we know, what we already know about Luke, is he is the most detail-oriented of all four Gospel writers. I told you that the, the Gospel of Luke is the, the longest, the largest Gospel, but not just that. It's the largest book in what? The whole New Testament, right? Well, Luke has got a lot of stuff in there, okay? A, a point of interest here is that all the Christmas narratives come from Matthew and Luke. During December, when we're reading the passages and the Pruitt family's up here and the Grimes family and the Hosteller, and they're all up here reading, they're all reading from the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of Luke. That's where all the Christmas passages are from. We covered Luke's account of the Christmas story in chapters 1 and 2 the last two weeks. Remember, Christmas in January? Most of that is not mentioned at all. What we looked at in, in Luke is not mentioned at all in Matthew, Mark, or John. And that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. Okay? Mark, the shortest gospel, foregoes all of that and begins with John the Baptist. The baptism of Jesus, the voice out of heaven, this is my beloved son, and the calling of the disciples. That's how Mark starts. He starts there. Okay? The Gospel of John also foregoes the Christmas stories, going straight to John the Baptist, except for the prologue of John, which is in chapter 1 of the Gospel of John. It's sort of this philosophical, theological addressing of the origin of Jesus. Where did the Messiah come from? Okay? But it's in a very um, philosophical way. It's almost like something that would have been written by Socrates or Aristotle, right? It's what I would call Christological existentialism. Say that three times fast. Mm -hmm. Christological existentialism, the, the existence of the Christ and a study of that. It sounds something like that. John chapter 1, verse 1, the prologue begins with this. He says, in the beginning, what other book starts with that? Come on, help me out. Genesis, right. John starts, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Now, the word for word there, okay, in the Greek is logos. Logos is a very special term. It's a derivative of where we get the words like biology, okay, psychology, matters of, study of. It's a special word that John is using to refer to the pre-existent Christ, the mind of God, the word of God, the pre-existent Christ. So when we read this, this is John addressing the origin of the Messiah. He says, in the beginning was the word, the logos, 
the pre-existent Christ. The Logos was with God, and the Logos was God. Okay? And then he says, he, that is the pre-existent Christ, the Messiah, was in the beginning. The word was in the beginning with God. John the Apostle does touch on the incarnation of Jesus, Jesus being born in flesh, in, in verse 14 of chapter 1. It's John's Christmas story. Here it is. You ready? And the word became flesh. There's John's Christmas story. Right? The word, the logos, the logos became flesh. That's what happened in Bethlehem, right? That's what happened. So he says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten of the Father, the only begotten Son, which John quotes later in John 3.16, only begotten Son, of the Father, full of grace and truth. Then he shifts right to the witness of John in the very next verse, verse 15. Like I said a minute ago, all the Christmas passages about the birth of Jesus are contained in Matthew and Luke, unless you want to count that one in John, right? We covered Luke last week, so I'm not going to go into great detail about it. But in general, what Luke did is he gave us this long list of witnesses. Remember, he investigated it thoroughly. When you read the first four verses of Luke, he investigated it thoroughly for Theophilus, okay? It's a long list of witnesses to the fact that the child of Mary born in Bethlehem is the Messiah, is the Messiah. Just a quick review, okay? The witnesses, just this line of witnesses, the parents of John the Baptist, Zach and Liz, you remember Zach and Liz, right? Zacharias and Elizabeth, and the angel Gabriel who speaks to them, right? And the miraculous conception of John the Baptist. You've got the angel Gabriel appearing to Mary, the mother of Jesus, and the miraculous conception of Jesus as a witness. He is the Christ. Mary's visit to Elizabeth. You remember what happens? John the Baptist, the witness, he leaps in Elizabeth's wounds. It's another witness that Jesus is the Christ. John the Baptist is born of Zechariah. He's born, and so Zacharias can speak again. And the first thing he does is he prophesies that John will be the prophet that heralds the coming of the Messiah. He's the primary witness to the Messiah. The angels appear to the shepherds. We talked about this last week. Announcing the birth of Jesus and the special sign they gave to find the baby. Do you remember what that was? You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And they go there and that's it. That was the sign. And if that's not enough, Luke also gives us Simeon and Anna prophesying about Jesus in the temple when he's brought there on the eighth day for his circumcision, for the rites of circumcision. That's Luke 1 and 2 in a nutshell. Okay? But Matthew is way more compact than that, and Mark is even more compact than that. But Matthew has his, his um, birth narratives. He tells us that Joseph and Mary are engaged to be married, right? But he finds out what? Mary's pregnant. So Joseph's like, no can do, not doing this, not doing this. So the angel in Matthew doesn't appear to Mary, but appears to Joseph as a Joseph, son of David. Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And the angel quotes the prophecy from Isaiah 7, 14 about the virgin birth and Jesus being called Emmanuel, which means, which means God with us, Emmanuel, the Hebrew, Emmanuel, God with us or with us, God. Chapter 2 of Matthew is 
the three kings or the magi, the wise men. And he quotes Micah chapter 5 verse 2 about Bethlehem out of you, O Bethlehem. And they come to Jerusalem, they arrive and they're following the star to come and worship the one born the king of what? The Jews. And they find Jesus and they give him what? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. But they don't tell Herod that they found him because God warns them in a dream. So they leave by another way. This is in Matthew. This is all in Matthew. God also warns Joseph in a dream to take Mary and the child Jesus and flee to Egypt until Herod is gone. (laughs) Because he wants to destroy the child because he's the king of the Jews, right? And that's what he was going to do with wise men. So the angel warns Joseph and they go to Egypt. So Matthew and Luke are very different. None of that is in Luke and none of Luke is in Matthew, really, for the most part. But it's the same purpose. It's not a bad thing. It's the same purpose, but different accounts of different events from different perspectives. So that is my comparison and contrast of the origin and birth of Jesus Christ in the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And that will be the quickest, most concise version of that you will ever hear, I think. That was pretty fast, right? Uh, if, you, if you miss some of it, you can go back and watch it on YouTube. By the way, welcome those of you that are watching on YouTube. Luke chapter 3 begins with the ministry and witness of John the Baptist. And it ends with the genealogy of Jesus. All the way back to Adam, who Luke identifies Adam, the son of God. That's important. We're going to get to that, so hang on to that. And it should be no surprise that Luke gives us a lot of details and information about John more than any of the other gospel writers. So listen and follow along with me as I read chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Now in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea and Herod was tetrarch of Galilee and his brother Philip was the tetrarch of the region of Iturea, and Trachonitis. That sounds like something you would catch. I've got this little Trachonitis going on. But it's a region. It's not a cold. It's a region. And uh, Lysanias, the tetrarch of Abilene, not Texas, in the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of the the word of God came to John, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness. And he came into all the district around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. It's a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every ravine will be filled, every mountain and hill will be made low or brought low. The crooked will become straight and the rough roads smooth and all flesh will see the salvation of God. Would you pray with me? God, I pray that you would add your blessing to the reading and the hearing of your word, Lord, that I just read and what I'm about to cover. I pray that the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight, Lord, for you are our strength, you are our rock, you are our redeemer. Holy Spirit, give us ears to hear what we need to hear, what we need to understand, what we need to grasp and believe. For we pray in your name, Jesus, and all God's people said, So right off the bat, right off the bat, we can see the first two verses of Luke 3 
are very similar to the first two verses of Luke chapter 2. And the reason is, is because it's historical context. It's historical context. Luke is giving us a marker on the timeline of history so that we know when and where this is all happening. Luke is a historian, right? We already did the book of Acts, right? You know, Luke is a historian. He does that. He does things like that. And just like in the beginning of chapter 2 with Caesar Augustus and Quirinius, who was the governor of Syria, just how that all lines up with Roman history, it lines right up with it, okay? Here, here in chapter 3, at the time of John's ministry and at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, it's Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate, and King Herod. And they're all accurately in sync with Roman historical record, okay? John and Jesus would be about 30 years of age. So once again, why is that important? It's important because it's self-authenticating. It's giving us confidence in the accuracy of Luke's recording and also the other gospel writers about the life and the teaching of Jesus. But Luke, it's, it's just, it lines right up with Roman history. Okay, which is another thing altogether. Okay? This is also important because Jesus, when he is arrested, he goes before all of those people that Luke just mentioned. Right? He goes before the high priests. He goes before Pontius Pilate. He goes before Herod. Um, all, all of them. So, And then we're going to read about that in, verse, in chapters 22 and 23, many weeks from now. Uh, that all happens before his crucifixion. So verse 2 tells us that the word of the Lord came to the son of Zacharias in the wilderness. And the son of Zacharias is who? John the Baptist. Are you with me? <laughs> John the Baptist. Verses 3 and 4 give us two important aspects to his ministry as the witness to Jesus the Messiah. In verse 3, it says, John came in to a district around the Jordan River preaching a baptism of the repentance of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. That's where John gets his name. It's John the Baptist, which in the Greek is literally John the Baptizer. John the Baptizer. And as a brief aside, as far as we know, Jesus never personally baptized anyone. Okay? There's no scriptural evidence that Jesus baptized anyone with water anyway. John said this in verse 16. This is a para, it's, a, it's not all of it, but a paraphrase. He says, he says I, John says, I baptize you with water. But he, speaking of Jesus, he who comes will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Do you remember how the book of Acts started? Tongues of fire. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. That's Jesus' baptism. Verses 4, 5, and 6 defines the second aspect of John's purpose. The first is he's, he's doing a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The second aspect is quoted, is quoted from Isaiah chapter 40. Let me read that for you. It said, the voice of one crying, oh, it says, it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord, make his path straight, Every ravine will be filled in. Every mountain will be made low and brought low. The crooked will become straight and the rough roads smooth. And all flesh will see the salvation of God. By the way, that same passage is quoted concerning John the Baptist in all four Gospels. 
okay? That passage or part of it is quoted in all four Gospels because John is common to all four Gospels. John is the prophetic voice. He's the spirit of Elijah crying in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord. John is this prophetic precursor to come ahead of and prepare the way for Jesus, the Messiah. All four gospel writers make that perfectly clear. And this passage ends with this. All flesh will see the salvation of God. What is the salvation of God? The Messiah, Jesus. Next, in verses 7 through 14, we get a good taste of the fiery spirit of John the Baptist and the fiery teaching of John the Baptist. Chuck, Chuck and I were joking one time about we need a little more fire and brimstone. <laughs> I don't know if you remember that, Chuck. We were talking about, well, John's going to bring it. Okay, John's going to bring it. We get a taste of his teaching. But he is a teacher of righteousness and justice. Okay, practical day-to-day relational righteousness and application. It's not so much religious application and ritual, okay, like going to the temple and offering up sacrifices worship, but rather what John is teaching is doing right by others. Doing right by others uh, with the righteousness and the justice that is in the law, the prophets, and the writings. John's teaching could all come under the category of the golden rule of Jesus, right? As you would like to treat others in the way that you would like to be treated, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. It's very similar to Jesus' teaching. So John's teaching is also preparing them for Jesus, not just Jesus the Messiah, not just Jesus the Savior, but Jesus the Rabbi. Because John's teachings seem to be flow right into the kind of teaching that Jesus does, like with the golden rule. I want you to listen for all of that as I read verses 7 through 14. If you follow along, it's up here. If you've got your Bibles with you, follow along. Verse 7, so he began saying to the crowds, this is John, who were going out to be baptized to him, and here it comes, it gets pretty fiery. He says, you brood of vipers. Wow. I've never said that to you, have I? No, ever. And, you, and I won't. <laughs> he says, you brood of vipers, you, you, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? That's pretty fiery. Therefore, bear fruits in keeping with repentance. Okay? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. What does that mean? What's John saying there? Well, he's saying when you repent, the word for repentance in the Greek is metanoia. That's the word that's used there. Metanoia means change of thinking, change of mind. Turn your thinking around. Turn your life around. Turn your mind around. And then what's the fruit of repentance? Well, it's, it's not going this way. It's going this way. It's doing right by others. That's what John's saying. It's doing, live. If you're saved, if you repent, then live like it. So John's saying that. He's saying that. Therefore, bear fruits in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I say to you, this is John the Baptist, I say to you that from these stones, God is able to raise up children of Abraham. Because there were people that says, oh, we don't need to, we don't need to repent. We don't need to change. We're, we're sons of Abraham. We're, we're Jews. Well, you know, how does that apply to us? Well, I've heard people say that. Oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. My, my, my parents were Christians. Okay. Or, yeah, I've been to church a couple times. Yeah, I'm a Christian. No, no. See, just like this, God doesn't have any grandchildren, right? I'm not a Christian because my dad 
was a Christian or my mom was a Christian. I'm a Christian because I chose to follow Jesus and because he chose me to follow him. And I responded with my choice to follow him. So that's what he's saying there. He's saying it to the Jews, but we can also learn from that, can't we? We have to decide to follow Jesus. It says, indeed, this passage is also in Matthew, indeed the axe is already laid at the root of the trees. So every tree that does not bear fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds were questioning him, saying, then what shall we do? In other words, we're in big trouble here. We're, we're, we're done. That's what they're saying. How, how can we escape all of this, right? With repentance and the baptism for repentance and the forgiveness of sins. And he would answer them. This is what John said to them. And this is going to sound, three examples here, sounds a lot like Jesus. He says this. And he would answer and say to them, the man who has two tunics is to share with him who has none. And he who has food is to do likewise. That sounds a lot like Jesus. And you will find, as we go through Luke, that is a constant theme. Luke cares about the poor. Luke cares about the needy. And he teaches people to share. If you've got more than enough, share with someone who's got nothing. Share with someone who needs something. So he talks that to the people. Then come the tax gatherers in verse 12. And some tax gatherers also came to be baptized. And they said to him, teacher, what shall we do? So the tax gatherers. And he said to them, he said, collect no more than what you have been ordered to do. Because the tax collectors, Matthew, they were Zacchaeus, all notorious for, you know, okay, they're supposed to collect $10 or whatever. So they say, yeah, your, your tax bill's $15. And they'd keep the five. Okay? So John, righteousness, do right by others. That's John's preaching. He says that. Don't collect any more than you are ordered to. Don't gouge people. Price gouging, right? Don't steal. And then come the soldiers. So the soldiers, in verse 14, were questioning him, saying, and what about us? What shall we do, right? What shall we do? And he said to them, this, what's your fruit? Your fruit of repentance. Do not take money from anyone by force, because the soldiers certainly could do that, right? And they did. And don't accuse anyone falsely, and be content with your wages. Do right by others. Jesus, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. That's John the Baptist's teaching. So verse 15 shifts from that to the topic of the Christ and who he is. Because apparently John was a big deal at the time. He was very well known and respected okay, among the people. John had a lot of street cred okay, with the folks. Folks of influence and with no influence, the poor. Folks who were wealthy, royalty, and folks who were at the bottom of the social ladder. You see, people respected John. They knew he was a prophet. He was obviously a prophet. And many even wondered if he was the Christ, if he himself was the Christ and the Messiah. So in the next six verses, John does this. He clarifies, first of all, that he is not the Christ, but the one who points to the Christ, preparing the way for the Christ. Let me say that again. That's John's capsule. He is not the Christ, but the one who points to the Christ, preparing the way for the Christ. He also gets in trouble with King Herod for prophetically calling him out because of his immorality with his brother's wife, Herodias, and some other wicked things that he did. And because of that, 
John gets arrested. So listen for all that that I just laid out for you as I read and commentate through verse 15 uh, through 20. 15 through 20. Now while the people were in a state of expectation, expectation, we all know what that is, and all were wondering in their hearts about John as to whether he was the Christ. There it is. John answered and said to them all, as for me, I baptize you with water, but one is coming who is mightier than I. And we know who that is. And I am not fit to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to thoroughly clear his threshing floor. What do you do with a winnowing fork on a threshing floor? That's where they separate the wheat from the chaff. The good stuff from the bad stuff. And so John is saying, he's coming to separate the sheep from the goats, God's people from the rebellious people. Okay, His threshing floor. And to gather the wheat, the good, into his barn. But he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. There's some fiery preaching. So with many other exhortations, he preached the gospel, the good news, to the people. But when Herod the Tetrarch was reprimanded by him, John called him out, right? because of Herodias, his brother's wife, and because of all the wicked things which Herod had done, Herod also added this to them all. He locked John up in prison. He arrested him. Now, there is also something very significant that I want to share with you right now, and I, I hope you find this as interesting as I do and encouraging as I do. Like I said, John was a big deal. He was well known as a prophet of God in Israel. Now, we know that not just because all four Gospels say that, but we know that because he is mentioned by other historians from the time. Tacitus and Flavius Josephus. Flavius Josephus was a Roman citizen, but he was also a Jew and a Jewish historian who wrote a couple of books about the Jewish people and the Romans' dealings with them. One of them is called Jewish Antiquities. You can Google this online if you would like. And the other one is called the Jewish War. John the Baptist is mentioned in this historical record. John is a historical figure. Okay? He's mentioned in the book Jewish Antiquities. Josephus is describing the destruction of the army of the Jewish leader Herod Antipas, which is King Herod. His defeat by the Romans. And Josephus writes that many people thought this was a divine punishment because Herod had ordered the execution of a righteous man. Now, who do you think the righteous man was? John the Baptist. So it's just like what Luke said. <laughs> and John the Baptist is recorded in this is this is Probably the strongest argument for the authenticity of the Josephus record is that it's not connected with any Christian material such as would be found in the Gospels. He didn't get this from the Gospels. This is just history that he's recorded because it's the Jewish history, the Jewish words, Jewish antiquity. It's historical record. Jesus the Nazarene is also mentioned by Josephus. So when people come up to you and say, oh, those are just people the Bible made up. Oh, no. No, it's in Josephus. It's in Tacitus. And you can tell them. And they'll go, really? Because I promise you they don't know. They don't know. So again, we ask why is this important? Well, it's further confirmation that Luke and the other Gospels are accurate 
in their account of John the Baptist and Jesus. Okay, next in verses 21 and 22, it's the baptism of Jesus by John the baptizer. All four Gospels record these events, and they are very similar, especially Mark, Matthew, and John. Uh, excuse me, Mark, Matthew, and Luke. But John is a little bit different. John includes, behold. John says, behold, the Lamb of God. The other ones don't say that. He says, behold, the Lamb of God who taketh, takes away the sins of the world. That's unique to John. But otherwise, you know, they're, they're pretty much just all together on the baptism of Jesus. Luke writes this in verse 21 and 22. He says, now when all the people were baptized, this is before John was arrested, obviously. He's coming back a little bit. Now when all the people were baptized, Jesus was also baptized. And while he was praying, heaven was opened up, and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came out of heaven. You are my beloved son. In you I am well pleased. And that's in the other Gospels. Why is that important? Well, it's another witness, isn't it? It's another witness to, yeah, this is the Messiah. But who's the witness? God. So Luke went straight to the top, right? And so did all the other gospel writers. God witnessed to the fact that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is the Son of God. Right here it is baptism. Right here it is baptism. The Holy Spirit descended on him and the voice came out of heaven. You are my beloved Son in whom I am well Please. Now, I'm going to close out my message today with a reading and a discussion about the genealogy of Jesus as recorded by Luke. Both Matthew and Luke have genealogies for Jesus. Mark and John do not. So those are, that's a difference, okay? Both Matthew and Luke have the genealogies, and one thing that is notable, notable about Luke's genealogy is its placement. It seems unusual, right? It seems unusual. Why wouldn't he put it at the beginning? Why would he put it here after all this stuff? See, Matthew has his genealogy at the very beginning. He starts with it before even the birth narratives. Here's Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. It says, the record of the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah. So the fifth word, literally the fifth word in the Gospel of Matthew is genealogy. The record of the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, that's important, Matthew emphasizes the Jewishness, he's writing to Jews, the son of David and the son of Abraham. Matthew starts with Abraham and works his way forward in the genealogy through the generations to King David and then all the way to Jesus the Messiah. He starts with Abraham. See, Matthew is obviously writing to a Jewish readership. He starts with Abraham, who is the father of Judaism. That's going to be most important to Jews, isn't it? The father of Judaism. That's where he starts. And then he goes to King David, who is the hero, right, of Israel. He's the hero of Israel. He's the military Messiah that brought so much to Israel. And then he goes to Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Matthew emphasizes that. Luke is very different. Luke's very different. And it's not, again, it's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. And part of that is the audience. See, Luke is writing primarily to Gentiles and to Greeks, so he takes a different tack. He's writing to people like himself, okay? People with a Greek mindset who were not raised on all the Jewish history and the Jewish laws and all that. He's not writing to them. I mean, they can read it, certainly. But he, he's writing with certain people in mind, people like himself, Jews, that, I mean, Gentiles that, were not, that are not Jewish, Right? Luke doesn't start 
with the genealogy of Jesus in chapter 1. Luke places it after, after the parents of John the Baptist and his birth, after the birth of Jesus, after his formative years, you remember when he was 12 years old in the temple, after the beginning of John's ministry and the baptism of Jesus. So the placement is unusual, but it's intentional. Okay, it's intentional. And what I'm going to do right now is I'm going to give you a teaser for next week. So you have to come back. Okay, it's intentional. There's a reason why he puts it there, but I'm not going to tell you today. Say, aw. I'll get to it next week, but you've got to come back next week. It's unusual, but it's very intentional. There's a reason for it. I want, um, I want you to notice that when we read through it, Luke doesn't start with Abraham okay, and work forward to Jesus through King David and all of that. He doesn't start with Abraham. Instead, he starts with Jesus... And he works backwards through the generations, all the way to King David, past King David to Abraham, past Abraham to Noah, and all the way back to Adam, who he says, Adam, the son of God. That's important. You see, Adam had no father but God, correct? Right? Adam had no father but God. Jesus is similar in that Jesus had no father but God, right? Joseph wasn't Jesus' father. God was Jesus' father. So they're similar. Luke does that on purpose. So Luke is laying that out in genealogical form for us. Also, another important thing to understand is that Luke's genealogy is not through Joseph. A lot of people don't know that. That's been a stumbling block for people through the years in studying the scripture because they, they think it's, it's Joseph. It's different. Because it's different. Luke's genealogy is not through Joseph's line like Matthew does. Luke traces back through Mary's lineage. Mary's lineage. Some people disagree on that. Matthew Henry, famous preacher, famous commentator. I have his commentator series. um, Been used for years. He says that's a stumbling block for people that just aren't educated on Scripture and have biblical knowledge. So we should not. That's not a stumbling block for us. Luke traces back through Mary's line. Although it doesn't say that in the passage there, okay, it doesn't even use Mary's name, but most biblical scholars agree that Luke's genealogy of Jesus is through Mary's line to Adam, which is not the norm, especially in Hebrew literature, because it's always father, son, right? Father, son, father, son, father, son, father of son, father of this, father of that. But it's, it's Mary. It's very unusual. But Luke appears to be casting Jesus not just as the new David, and the son of Abraham, like Matthew does, but, in, in, but he's casting him as the new Adam. The son of God before the fall, Adam before the fall, a reset for all humanity. That's Jesus. It's a reset. The salvation of the world. Matthew also, when you think about how Matthew used Joseph's line versus Luke, Matthew, if you go back and read Matthew in the first two chapters, it's, it's very much focused on Joseph. The angel appears to Joseph, right? And, and everything is kind of focused around Joseph. And you hear very little about Mary in the book of Matthew. Luke, you've been here the last two weeks, you know. He said a lot about Mary, didn't he? She said a lot too. And he says, oh, and she treasured this up in her heart and pondered these things. And about when he was 12, she treasured it up and she went to see Elizabeth. There was a lot about Mary. So Luke's emphasis in the birth narratives really is mainly on on Mary. So it would all make sense that he would use her line. Okay, having said that, I'm going to ask right now that you would be very gracious to me and very kind to me. 
because I am going to attempt to read and pronounce correctly all of these names in Luke's genealogy. And, and they'll be up there so you'll know when I make a mistake. If I do make a mistake, please do not laugh out loud. Okay. So let me start at verse 23 in closing. <laughs> when he began his ministry, Jesus himself was about 30 years of age, being, and this is important, being as was supposed the son of Joseph. See, so he's saying it's not Joseph's son. It's Mary's son, yes, not Joseph. So then, we believe it jumps to Mary's line, the son of Eli, the son of um, Mattath, Math, excuse me, I had this earlier, Mattath, the son of Levi, the son of Melchi, the son of Janai, the son of Joseph, the son of Mattathias, the son of Amos, the son of Nahum, the son of Hesli, the son of Nagai, the son of Math, the son of Mattathias, the son of Semain, the son of Josek, the son of Joda, not Yoda, Chris Fisher, Joda, right? The son of Jonan, the son of Risha, the son of Zerubbabel, the son of Shiltiel, the son of Ner, Shubineri, the son of Melki, the son of Adi, the son of Kosam, the son of Almadam, the son of Ur, the son of Joshua, the son of Eleazar, the son of Jorim, the son of Matath, the son of Levi, the son of Simeon, the son of Judah, the son of Joseph, the son of Jonam, the son of Aliakim, the son of Melin, Melia, the son of Mena, the son of Matha, uh, Matatha, the son of Nathan, the son of David, that's King David, who is the son of Jesse, the son of Obed, the son of Boaz, who was Ruth's husband, if you remember, right, from the book of Ruth, the son of Salmon, the son of Nashon, the son of Aminadab, the son of Admin, the son of Ram, the son of Her Hezron, the son of Perez, the son of Judah, the son of Jacob, the son of Isaac, here comes Abraham, the son of Abraham, the son of Terah, the son of Nahor, the son of Serug, the son of Ru, the son of Peleg, the son of Hebar, the son of Shelah, the son of Canaan, excuse me, Canaan, the son of Erphaxad, the son of Shem, the son of, here it is, Noah, so we're all the way back to Noah, the son of Lemech, the son of Methuselah, the son of Enoch, the son of Jared, the son of Mahalalil, the son of Canaan, the son of Enosh, the son of Seth, like my youngest son, and the son of Adam, the son of God. <laughs> I usually would say, no, no, but I do deserve that. I do deserve that. But I want you to notice, okay, Luke is writing to the Greeks. The Greeks obviously don't think of themselves as children of Abraham or as children of King David along that line. But you see, Adam is not the father. Abraham is the father of Judaism. Adam is the father of the entire human race. You think about that? The entire human race, which would include who? The Gentiles. Us. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you so much for your favor and for your goodness. Thank you for Luke and his detail. And sometimes it's hard to, to get at. We have to 
figure it out, but we thank you for it because it's all important. We thank you for what you teach us through it by the power of your Holy Spirit. We thank you for the difference between the Gospels and the sameness of the Gospels and the agreement of the Gospels. Uh, we thank you for the different perspectives of the Gospels because the purpose is all the same. You, your life, your teachings, Lord. So we pray that you would lead us and guide us by the power of your Holy Spirit. God, I pray right now for the food that we are about to receive. I say the blessing over this food as we share together as your people and just enjoy some fellowship time together because we have a lot in common and we have a lot to be grateful for and we are grateful. We are thankful for it's in your name, Jesus, and all God's people said, and all the people said, amen. Whoa, 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 and all the people said, amen. Let's stand.